every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Michelin Nijme, CMO at JFrog. JFrog is redefining the way developers are building, securing, managing, and distributing software updates. Michelin brings over 20 years of technology marketing experience, leading and implementing successful global marketing strategies at high-growth software companies. On this episode, Michelin shares her insights into why organic marketing pulls in better leads, the importance of educating your customer, and why your website is the face of your company. But first, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified is the pipeline generation platform for revenue teams that use Salesforce. You can intelligently grow your pipeline by understanding the signals of buying intent and having real-time conversations right on your website. You can learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Michelin Nijme and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I am joined by a very special guest. Micheline, how are you? Doing amazing. Thank you for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on the show. We've been working on this for a while. I'm thrilled to have you on today. You come from the Marketraz group, which we end up talking about on the show in some form or fashion. Obviously, Craig is the CEO of Qualified, who foots the bill for this podcast, who we love dearly, and you worked for at one point. So fun from that perspective, yep. and just fun to have you on the show. Thank you. Yeah, amazing team, and looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, so let's get into it. What was your first job in demand gen? My first demand gen role was at Sun Microsystems back in the day where I was part of the software DG team. Actually, my career started off in sales. And during my tenure at Sun, I was asked to join the software DG team. And I remember thinking, oh, no, I'm back to holding a quota again. I, and I was dreading it, to be honest. And it was the best thing I could have asked for. I wouldn't be a CMO today if I actually didn't have this path and this background around demand gen. So flash forward to today, tell us about your role at JFrog. Yeah, so as I said, I'm the CMO at JFrog and like many marketing leaders, I wear different hats as the responsibility is so diverse from day to day. But actually at the end of the day, my job is to really provide a unified approach across our company in terms of who we're trying to reach explain simply what we do and what makes us different, and how do we build these emotional experiences using modern marketing methods. That's how I kind of simplify it in three terms. Let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? This is where we go and feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. What does JFrog do and who are your customers? Yeah, JFrog is a DevOps platform that enables enterprise developers to automate the seamless and secure delivery of software updates to their end users and actually all the way to the devices. And when you think about 
what we do today. Everything we use is managed by software, cars, medical devices, airplanes, everything. Software touches everything. And for companies these days, to, for them to remain competitive and for them to service their needs for their customers, they need to deliver fast and secure software releases faster than ever before, secure, more secure than ever before. And, and you hear this, like it's called digital transformation. And that's what we do. We, we provide this automated seamless delivery of software updates all the way to the developers, to the end user, as well as to the devices. And so who is the buying committee for your product? Yeah, when you think about who we go after, it's really a partnership. We build these relationships with our developers and DevOps engineers. We started off as a bottoms-up approach, and we wanted to make sure that the developers and DevOps engineers had this amazing experience. So our priority is to win the hearts and minds of the developers because they influence the sale. They are the ones who try the product and they're the ones who are going to tell their managers. They actually buy in some cases, but also tell their managers the value that we provide when they're playing with it in their sandbox. And what does that buying process look like? How do you structure your organization to mirror that buying process? Yeah, JFrog was really built out of a bottoms-up approach. They engage with, as I said, developers and DevOps engineers and give them this experience, this kind of product-led approach. We have a dedicated team to engage with this community, right? We listen to their needs. We meet with them. We bring them back to our product and R&D team to learn from them. So we're giving them that best experience, as I mentioned. And so we've grown the company really from the start, from a bottoms up approach. And in the last year and a half, really, when I joined, we started to introduce a traditional enterprise top-down motion to complement the bottoms up because we've added a strategic accounts team. We've added a field marketing team. We've added an outbound BDR team to complement the bottoms up approach, but also have a top-down approach where we're going after the technical leaders and decision makers, such as the C-level VP of engineers. And tell me about your marketing organization. Where does demand sit? What does the rest of the org look like? I have a global team that crosses all geographies, right? We have about 10 offices around the world with remote employees as well. And my team specifically, I have a product marketing team in comms. I have a growth marketing team where the demand gen team sits there. It also includes BDRs, SDRs. It includes field marketing. We have country managers in different regions like China, Japan, India, we have a digital marketing team and a website team, and that all falls under the growth marketing structure. In addition, we have the marketing ops team, the brand marketing team, and rare for many companies, we don't usually see this, is a community happiness team. So we want to make sure that, again, we have developer advocates thinking about the community. And also in there, we also have an events team. So all of that is under the community team. So they're thinking and prioritizing our audience's happiness and best experience we can give them. Yeah, I love that. I'm so curious where this head of community or this function of community lives. On the last episode, we were talking about this idea of like, does community live within brand? Is brand and community one and the same? Like if customer experience is kind of the new brand and for B2B, a lot of the times community is very indicative of like how you're treated by the company. Is that like a brand play? I'm curious where you stand on that. 
Yeah. The way we built it here at JFrog is actually, if I have to say, is a smart way. We brought in the best kind of developer community expert in the industry, and he has a very technical experience and understanding of the community. He runs, I have also um, a partner engineering team on my team, um, so he runs that. And so he understands the persona inside and out, but he also owns and has that kind of business mindset. So he understands the need for marketing. So that balance is so critical. And we wanted it in marketing because we wanted to make sure marketing wasn't creating fluff, right? I call it marketing fluff, that our messages resonated with this audience, our experience, the engagement was relevant to this audience. Otherwise, if we separated the two, we'd have them maybe in product and versus marketing. And so I thought it was very important. And it started this before I joined, I have to give them credit and to bring this team inside marketing and they report directly to me so we can stay close to building the message, the story, making sure they're aligned with the product marketing team, making sure they're aligned with the demand gen team. They may not hold a number, but but they hold a KPI that is very aligned with the, the demand gen team that supports our efforts. So I, I'm a big believer having them in marketing. Yeah. And so how do you think about demand as part of your marketing strategy? So for me, obviously, it's a big priority, right? We have pipeline is our number one. I'm on the hook for it as the CMO. That's my top priorities to generate demand and create pipeline. And we built a two-pronged approach, as I mentioned. So we have a core growth strategy that has gotten us this success so far, which is a product-led approach. It's a bottoms-up approach, reaching out to developers and DevOps teams. And then we've also built that top down. So for me, demand gen encompasses everything that we do. So even when we build brand programs, it's to support our demand gen strategy. Our developer advocates think about how do we generate demand by building those relationships. So every single part of my organization plays a big role in driving that demand gen strategy. So it starts there at first. And then everyone plays a role and has KPIs to support that plan. Let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. So are you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win? What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? The three categories I would bucket into is paid media and organic search. Those are critical to me. And balancing organic over paid is something that we strive for all the time. We're not there yet. My freemium and free trial offering that we have, we do offer a SaaS offering as well as self-hosted offering. So giving that developer that experience. And then in-person events and online events like webcasts, podcasts, things like that. Those are the three big channels I would never cut. I love it. Let's dive into those a little bit more. Jumping into the final piece first, in-person events, online events. Is that community stuff? Is it product driven? Is it a bit of both? How do you think about events? Yeah, it's both. So there's product led webinars or events, but there are also community events that it's not pipeline generation. It's really educational. It's meant to get them again using our product because we have that bottoms up product led approach. And then there's ones that we want to drive demand and thought leadership at a high level. So we bucket them by persona. So our plan is to build them by persona, build them by the nurture, the content journey that we're building, 
And then we identify events to support those journeys, right, where we are. So we think about who we're going to reach and what we want to say and where should we find them, right? We're taking our message to them. I have to tell you, when during COVID time, online events was not the best experience to driving those conversations. And now we rotate so heavy on in-person the last six months. It's been amazing. We just held our own user conference and they're so excited to be together. (laughs) It felt like a reunion, but it's feeling like that at every in-person event. And those play such a big role for us and a huge opportunity from a demand gen side. I think that there was so much fatigue around digital events and there still is. I think people often misinterpreted why people would go to in-person versus not, right? And like what would hold their attention or why they would do certain things. And I think one of the things that we've seen pretty clearly is that if you're in a situation where you can't make an event, if you can't be there, if your team doesn't have budget or if you live somewhere, you know, it's great to have options for those type of people to engage that historically were being left out anyways. But for the in-person stuff, like you said, there's a real appetite there. What types of things like are the signals that you see from the appetite to get together? Is it just the feel in the room, the conversations? Is it surveys afterwards of how excited people are? Is it driving signups? What were the reasons there? It's all of the above, really. When we held our user conference, we heard from our customers that they didn't even have budget this year, right? When they planned last year for this year, they didn't know where we were with COVID, where we're going to be in the same situation, especially in November, December with Omicron coming back. They, I don't think they thought how big of an event budget that they would plan for. So many of our customers said, you know what, we'd love for you to come to us. So we actually held our user conference and now we're holding city tours to go to them. And we actually didn't do an online version. We specifically said, you know what, we're going to come to you. We're going to build the best experience. And it's been such a huge response. Like during the you know last week or two weeks ago, I really felt like we were at a reunion. I was watching and people were hugging each other. I mean, it was, it was like a big party. I missed it, right? For sure. It wasn't my first event, but it was our first user conference. And it was really a response, right? They were telling us this, the surveys, everything that they're ready to come back. We always have to offer a hybrid, but you know what? We always offered hybrid when we wanted to. It's just now we, I don't think we build the same experience. The hybrid has to be a dedicated strategy. It can't be like, here, let's stream it and you'll be fine. It's got to be a dedicated strategy like we did last year. Um, We've learned from that, but now we got to make it where it's digestible. It's not this long conference that we've had where people started taking those in person, make them the same virtual. We're rethinking how we do those for sure. I love it. And you nailed it because I think that we're just so unintentional of how we thought about both those things, right? Like the whole idea of, hey, we go to a conference. We've talked about this a bunch on the show, but like you go to a conference and then you just live stream all of the talking points. I don't go to a conference to just listen to people talk. That's like the 20%. The 80% is the connections and the meeting people and the networking sessions or the workshops. Those are the things that drive a ton of value. And I think that being intentional about what is for what and why people go to certain things is super important for people to figure that out. Otherwise, if you just sit on the fence, like it's just going to be a bad experience on both sides. And let's be honest, like who sits through an entire virtual event? You pick and choose your 
your sessions. And when you're home or you're in the office, you get distracted, you get, no one sits through them. So in reality, we may say we've acquired this many people to attend our conference. They're not really contained like an in-person event. We have them locked in and they're there, they're, they're having the conversations, we're having those meetings and you don't get that from the virtual. So, you know, we're definitely rethinking how we do them. We're cutting them even further. Not to say we didn't do that a couple of years ago, but now we're doing it again in terms of how do we partner with the in-person ones. Well, I think the way that you'd create an in-person event is like very regimented at this point. So many people have done it. We know how to do it. The speakers, the this, the that, the like breakout right. sessions, all that stuff. Like we know how to do it. We had no idea how to do virtual events, right? So it's exactly. like the idea that you have someone talk for 45 minutes and then you have like Q&A and then wrap. You don't need to do any of that anymore. You could have someone talk for 10 minutes and then you can do all breakout rooms. There's so many different things that you can do. And I think that that's the sort of stuff where, again, events, the reason why it's like, hey, Micheline and I both went to the Supercharger SEO. Hey, I saw, were you in that thing? Yeah, you were like, that was pretty cool that they were talking about X, Y, or Z. Like, it's still about driving word of mouth, driving connections between people to talk about what they just learned. It's not just like, hey, I'm just going to take notes on this and take it back to my team. In-person events are still about getting actual people together to talk about that stuff. It is the side conversations where you learn so much. So I completely agree. Okay. You mentioned organic. How do you think about organic? as it relates to that versus paid versus, you know, both together. And, and what's your strategy for, for building that? We have a two very strong plans for organic and paid and obviously paid costs more than organic. So I always try to tell my team, you got to change the balance. That's their objective. And that's their KPI is how do you get to generate more demand and leads from organic versus paid and organic is just better quality leads at the end of the day. They're searching for it. We're driving them. They're seeing the right content and then they're taking action. So for me, they're top priority, but if I had it my way and I could fast forward everything, I would do more organic than paid for sure. Do you think about doing the definitive guide to XYZ, the kind of pillar content marketing strategy and driving everyone to one thing and having that sort of like anchor content? What type of stuff are you all working on creating for that? There's an old saying, right? The content is king and there's a reason for it, right? And organic search is all about content. Same with paid search, but organic much more so. And the nurture you're building to get them to engage with you. I used to do those, you know, my past career But with JFrog, it's all about technical content engagement, right? So it's not Mm -hmm. the fluff. They can see behind, (laughs) they can see behind the fluff. So it's got to be very educational, deep technical content. So with this audience, you, you really have to educate them. So it's taking them through a journey, right? So we think about the user experience, the moment they come to our website, what is it the first thing we want to do? Where did they come from? And what's the next step they want to take? And then we built workshops again, to educate them very hands-on. They're an hour and a half workshop so they can play with our product. We bring them to to try our product. We bring them to do these kind of demo days where because they don't want to talk to us a sales rep so right away. So how do we take them on this journey in a way that resonates with them that doesn't feel like marketing fluff or that doesn't feel not authentic? 
right? It's got to be authentic. It's got to mean like, hey, we are trying to take you and educate you down this journey because we want you to have the best experience because we believe that we're giving you the best product in the industry. We want you to try it. And once they try it, we know we've got them excited and energized about it, but it's just taking them down that journey. And organic search and content plays a huge part in that. Isn't that the hard part is like if you're paying one to $2 a word to get content creator, you have to find the really sharp technical writers or creators or people outside the organization. They're going to be able to co-create that stuff because otherwise, like you said, if you're just trying to slap together a thousand words, throw it on the blog, like we all know that's a losing strategy anyways, but how hard has that been for you all to find those technical creators? Yeah, we're, we've been lucky, to be honest, because we market to engineers and developers. We have a very large R&D organization. So we actually created a JFrog Gurus program. And the JFrog Gurus program are people are all over the company who want to present, who want to go to events, who want to come on webinars. Who So they're actually like real life, the persona that we go after, they're presenting on our behalf and they're sharing. So We've been lucky to to have that. We built our developer advocates team because that's 100% of their job. But we also leverage our R&D and our product team to build content. So on our side, we actually don't lack the content creation. For us, it's like making sure that it resonates, that where it's focused, there's a purpose to it, right? I'm mm-hmm. not a believer of, I call it, don't create content that sits on the shelf, right? Have a purpose of how you want to use it. How is it going to going out to market? How are we going to engage with the audience more than once, right? Creating one piece of content, letting it sit, it's not worthwhile. So that's the hardest part because there's so much content and we deliver a platform that has multiple products. So it's not just one story all the time. We want to showcase a certain product over another. And so therefore that's probably the hardest is the storytelling, not the technical content that we deliver. Don't get me wrong. It's hard work, but we have so many experts in the company that that's less of a concern for me. What about your most cuttable budget item or something that you might not be investing in in the coming years? I tend to find content syndication. It's not like it's cuttable. I would cut it. It's just the least amount. And the reason why we would continue doing that is it's very top of the funnel. So if you're starting out, like when I first joined, we wanted to make sure we had enough names in in our database. So that was a a tactic we used for a very long-term evolution of good quality leads. So we would bring them in, we would nurture them, we would build that engagement with them. And then we start thinking of them as leads. Right. So I find that probably the least that I would cut the most. If I had to choose, this is what I would pick. That's the most I see in terms of channels that are, are not doing as well as I'd like to see. Because every company that I've seen at, when we try it, it's not that, that great from a lead perspective. And then again, virtual events, uh, making sure that the ones we do do are meaningful. We build meaningful conversations around these virtual events because we are getting that fatigue as we discussed. Do you have a favorite campaign or best campaign? There's several, but probably the one worth mentioning is our recent security campaign that we ran. JFrog has a security solution called JFrog X-Ray, and it enables customers to kind of deliver software securely, right, faster. And with the recent 
I don't know if everyone's aware of this, but with the recent software pandemic that we had with Log4J, it was a very horrifying experience to so many enterprise companies. Like they were panicking across the industry. Luckily, our customers were safe, but it was kind of a marketer's dream in a way because we quickly launched this campaign showcasing the value of X-Ray, our JFrog X-Ray solution, how we're strengthening their supply chain, how we brought customers forward, showcased them. It was beautifully executed. We launched a myriad of content, blogs, social, customer stories, and the result was amazing. And we saw huge spikes in our website traffic. Journalists that have not written about us before started writing about us, putting us in our in their headlines. So for me, that was a beautiful, very relevant, recent one that we use now. And we've, we're figuring out how do we do this, replicate this for any campaign to drive that kind of air cover in such a short period of time. It was amazing. It also validated the need for the teams to be aligned, right? When you have this passion and this focus across the entire marketing organization, like magic happens. And it just shows that as leaders, if you focus them on so many different things, you don't get that type of return. And that's the difference that, you know, we learned from it is that, you know, we're always doing so many different things all the time. And to have that type of focus was just amazing. Yeah. I always reference Chandar because he's one of my all-time faves, but he said on the podcast, you can do three things. Like you can have basically three elements of focus at any given time for your marketing team. And that's it. I break the rule all the time. <laughs> like I constantly break the rule, but then you go back and you're like, yeah. oh, it's, it's way better to just do three things right and thoroughly than like try to just boil the ocean. Right. And as marketing leaders, it's hard, right? Because you get asked for so many different things from across the entire company that we have to try and protect them. I do the same thing. I try to remember, but it's hard not to focus them on more than three things. <laughs> How do you view your website? Gosh, our website is our is the face of the company, right? It's something that people come to, for the first thing they come to when they're learning. It plays many different roles. It's the highest producing channel for us for conversion rates. It's the leading indicator of how well we're doing from a brand awareness perspective. Are we driving more traffic? Are we driving more unique users to come? Are they engaging? So those are all leading indicators to me to the health of the business. And it's a place where we can tell our stories, right? It's not just from a product perspective, but we, they can come to our blogs where we can learn and teach them and, and showcase our existing customers and inspire future customers. So it's it's the number one property. And I, I hired someone just dedicated to think about the health of the website. You know, you have a whole team around it thinking about it, but one person is waking up and sleeping thinking, is my website a success? And it's number one for me. I love that. I haven't heard it put quite that way of just like single point of success. As we said in the army, pin the rose on the one person who it's like, this is what you think about every single day. And this is like the classic marketing thing. If you don't resource it and if you don't give an owner, how can you expect it to be successful? Absolutely. That's exactly it. If you don't have the focus, you're not going to get the results. Well, and to expand on that, the website is such a complex thing now. I mean, we talk about it every episode. It's such a complex thing because you're selling on the website, especially you all have PLG and, and bottom up. It's so complex now. All of your content is living there. Like there's just so many different things that are going on. If you create the center of excellence model and nobody's owning it, it's still just 
too many cooks in the kitchen and not one person saying like, no, this is how it has to be because we have these 55 other things that are happening at any given time. Yeah. One person is not enough and we're just starting to grow that organization as well, but it's, we need to have that focus. And for this person, her job is to make sure everything's optimized. So we take our top generating content and is it converting on our website? Is it, are people coming? She's not responsible for people to come, but once they go onto the website, her job is to ensure conversion and engagement. So they, we take the top kind of performing content pieces or web pages and make sure that they're converting and optimized at all time. Partners with the SEO team, partners with the product marketing team. So it's a tough job. It's never ending. And we're just, that was probably my second, third hire when I joined the company. And we just need to grow it. It's just, there were so much other things to do, but it's definitely something that I can see a whole team around focus on different aspects, whether it's optimization on conversion, optimization on like exit pages, how are they moving from one page to another? I can build a whole team around this in the future. And that's the plan. Let's get to the desktop. Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. Where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales team, your competitors, or anyone else. Have you had a memorable dust-up in your career? I've had many. Um, Really, I've been lucky not to have anything with the board. I've been, you know, the board, every single engagement I've had with the board, they're really there to support and guide you. Can't say I've had anything to say about that and been lucky so far to have an amazing supportive board in any company that I've worked at. You know, usually the healthy tension is around sales. If you don't have that transparency and open communication. And if they don't know what you're doing or they're you're, they're not seeing the mistakes that you make or the challenges that you have, then they, they assume certain things. So having that kind of healthy tension is good. I actually, I welcome it. I want that amongst our team, but it, it's gotta be healthy is the, is the word that we need to focus on to ensure that they're working together and they're holding each other accountable, but then they're meeting together as one. I Just today, I, I was meeting with the sales team. We called it one team, one mission. And it doesn't matter where the challenges are. It's our challenges, the collective hour. And luckily for JFrog, and, I have, and I'm not saying that because I happen to be at JFrog, but I, I, I work with an amazing, phenomenal CRO who is really, truly a partner. But we have that healthy tension. But really, for us, it's an open book. So... Yes. In my past, I've had many, especially early in my career, where people assume certain things. But as, as I've been more experienced nowadays, I try to have less and less of that as a, an option. All right. Let's get to quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Just like how quickly you can talk to somebody on your website. If you use qualified, go to qualified.com to learn more qualified prospects are on your website right now and you can talk to them quickly if you're using qualified quick and easy just like these questions we love qualified go to qualified.com to learn more quick hits micheline are you ready i'm ready number one do you have a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume mixed drinks i just started to learn how to make great mixed drinks (laughs) so that's probably one that's on my not on my resume favorite drink gosh negroni i have many Wine's my go-to, but Manhattan, I've started to like more. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, TV show they've been checking out recently? 
I just started open this book recently. It's by Simon Sinek, Infinite Game. It teaches leaders how to plan for the long term. It's more around helping our organization plan better. So that's just something I started and I'm enjoying reading it so far. Quick, easy to read. What advice would you give to a first-time CMO who's trying to figure out their demand gen strategy? Know your audience. Know your audience and product first. Understand their pain. See what makes them happy. See what challenges they have, what excites them, inspires them to purchase, to try your product. Know your data. Bring on a marketing ops leader first if you don't have one, if you don't have an amazing one. And probably my third, which is probably obvious, but hire great people around you. Micheline, it's been awesome having you on the show. Thanks so much for joining. For our listeners, you can check out jfrog.com. Go give a nudge to your DevOps leaders and say, check it out if they're not. The majority of the Fortune 100 is already a JFrog customer. So, I mean, you got to get on that. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? This has been so much fun. Thank you so much. It's great talking to you again, Ian. Yeah. Awesome having you and take care. All right. Thank you. ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.